The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, if you're new, my name is Kyle. I'm, I am the lead pastor here at the church. And uh, as Shane just said, we're going to kick off a new series today uh, called Mr. and Mrs. And uh, basically the, the big sort of emphasis that we want to have is we realize that we live in an age and in a day which is very, very confused and conflicted as to just what it means to be human, let alone what it means to be male or female. And so what we want to do in this series is we want to kind of explore the Christian worldview, what the Bible actually has to say, and explore kind of the the story and the narrative in which God is inviting all people into His story. And whenever we kind of hit a series where we're going to look at uh, relationships or anything of that nature, we, we realize that everybody in the room, Christian or not, we come with our presuppositions. We come with the ways that we already think we understand things to be. And so I'm going to ask that everyone, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that you would at least be open to put those things aside and just hear what the Christian worldview and what the Bible itself would say. We also come to the table with fears and anxieties based on things that have happened in our past, the experiences that we have had. Um, And so what we want to say as well is, what if we were allowed God to speak into those moments too? That we wouldn't allow our experience and personal experience and pain to necessarily shape us, but rather we'd allow God to shape us. And also, as we kind of hit on something like this, it means we're going to probably offend everyone at some point. That is not my intention. But when God says something and there are humans who don't want to obey God, it rubs us. And that is both the Christian and those who aren't Christians. So if you're in the room and you're not a Christian and you think it's only you who might have some objections to God and his, his design for our lives, you are not alone. Christians always, we are wrestling with what God says and how we are to understand it and to believe it. And so in a room this size, in a church our size, we have many people here at different stages and different parts of the journey. Some of us in the room are going to hear things that are said and just be like, oh yeah, that's cool. That makes total sense. That's, I'm, all, I'm all on board with it. But some of us are not. Some of us in this room have experienced divorce and that has radically affected us and shaped us. Some of us in the room are single and we are wondering whether we will ever have a chance to be in a relationship. Some of us in the room are going to be same-sex attracted experiencing gender dysphoria. We are all at different places and God in His goodness and kindness is inviting everybody, no matter where you are, maybe you are married and miserable and lonely. God wants to draw us in and say, come and hear my story and hear the good news that I have to offer everyone. And so the overarching exhortation I want for us as a church is kind of threefold. And I'm going to try and say this every week. Is one, we want to think clearly. We don't want to throw out what the Bible and the Christian worldview may have to say. We want to think clearly. Secondly, we want to follow joyfully. 
That is that where the Bible speaks clearly, we want to say we trust God. And then thirdly, we want to act compassionately. If there is one thing that the church should be known for, that Christians should be known for, it is grace. That we allow people time and space to work this stuff out. That we have not arrived, that we are all works in progress, that God has his hand on every human being and is molding us and shaping us and we are all at different stages on that journey. So you want to think clearly, we kind of want to follow joyfully and then we want to act compassionately. Are you with me? Awesome, thanks guys, really appreciate that. <coughs> now, cultural. Let's start at the cultural piece, where we find ourselves currently. Our culture is very, very confused. Our society and our our sort of the space in which we find ourselves are walking through this moment in history where we are trying to ask the question, who are we? And how do we find that out? How do we actually discover who we are? And culturally, there are kind of two main ways in which culture says that you are to find yourself, to kind of know who you are, find your value, dignity and worth, find your purpose, find meaning and therefore be happy. Number one, culture tells us to look out. Okay, that is to go to your community Go to your family, go to that sort of society and tribe in which you have come from and they will tell you who you are. And to find yourself, you can only find yourself within that community. This is kind of more that collectivism sort of societies kind of have this viewpoint. You will do in society what you are told to do. You will live how you are told to live. You will look how you are told to look. You will speak how you are told to speak. One of the reasons why I love the church is because the church has people who come from all different types of societies and cultures and comes in and so the church shouldn't look the same. We should be multi-ethnic, multi-generational. We should all come from different backgrounds, but we can still be one big family because we are not saying that you must be and conform to this type of looking person. Amen? So you can have tattoos. It's fine. It's all right. You're welcome here. You can be sort of half ranger, okay, like me, and that's also fine. Even though some on the outside are like, you are a ranger, and then some on the inside say, no, you're not a ranger, you can still find yourself and be a sort of ranger, okay? So there's this sort of collectivist mentality, but then the other way is to look in. That is, you can't find yourself from the collective culture telling you who you are. You must therefore go inside of yourself, look into your own hearts and your own desires. And as you look within yourself, you will therefore find yourself. Trust your heart, go with your desires and define yourself. These are more individualistic cultures. This is very much where we find ourselves right now as a culture. Now, this is most excellently portrayed to us and given to us through an incredible song written a few years ago. And I'm just going to start some of the lyrics and some of you will kind of pick up on this song as we go and you'll kind of know where we are. Some of you may not and that's okay. Once we get to the chorus, the whole group of us are going to sing it together and then you will find where you are. Are you ready? Are you going to participate? Good. The snow glows white. 
on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Oh, don't let them in. Go, don't go too early. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you've always have to be. Concealed. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Come on. Come on, Dan. Here. Keep going. Great. Really good. Okay, so what the plan is this afternoon, don't go home and read your Bible. Go and watch Frozen. Next week, we're going to try the song again. This is not about scripture memorization. This is about Disney memorization. Okay. Then the second, uh, second verse goes on where she says, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules. For me, I'm free. Frozen is a story about a girl who feels controlled and conformed to the communal collectivism is saying who she must be. And she reacts to that and goes, I don't want to be that anymore. I'm going to go inside of myself, find myself and let that go. However, it does not work. Neither options work. One, you cannot find yourself apart from community because you must measure yourself to something. So to go into yourself, you are constantly comparing yourself to another to define yourself. So it's not actually philosophically even possible to define yourself apart from the community. And the culture, our culture particularly that we're living in is saying, go inside. This is the anthem of the postmodern culture that we, like Elsa, should shut the door on the past and create an entirely new narrative marked by fierce individualism and self-expression. And the Bible says, the Christian worldview says, do not look out. Do not look in. Look up. If there is a God, and we believe that there is, He has made us. And this is kind of where we are going to go over this series, is we want to look at the fact that in order to know who we are, we must first know whose we are. So we are not going to look out, we are not going to look in, we are going to look up. And if you're not a Christian, we want to invite you into this space to maybe explore the idea that there is a creator God who is good and he has made us for good. And so we're going to read through Genesis 1 and 2 (coughs) today. We're going to let the Bible say what it says, but I also want to say, let's let the Bible say it how it says So often when we get into Genesis 1 and 2, it becomes a debate about whether it's a literal seven-day creationism or not. And it's like it's the wrong debate. The debate is not about whether this is a literal, scientific, seven-day, 24-hour period creation story. That's missing the point of the story. It is not a literal seven-day emphasis. It is not a mythological emphasis. 
that there is some type of mythological being out there. The Bible in this beginning point is trying to be analogical, historical. It is trying to say, here is the setup. Here is the initial prologue into what it means to be human. And we're going to follow this story all the way through to see what it means to be created in the image of God and to therefore bear that image in this world. Are you with me? Great. Glad to have two of you. It's really exciting. Let it go. Okay. So we're going to look at five things that I think creation, sort of the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2 says. Number one, it tells us that God is eternally powerful. The story of the Bible starts like this, in the beginning. Meaning that there is a start and that there is something that was before the start. You and I, we don't know as timely beings how to even wrap our head around a timeless being. It's very, very difficult to do. If I was to ask you something about yourself, at some point we will get to your age, which is defined by time. You were born at this time and now you know something about yourself, which is purely timely. So in the beginning is something that we struggle with. We measure, we interpret everything through the lens of time. But the Bible wants to say, but there is someone else, there is another that does not do that. For example, if I was to say to you, three words, planes hitting buildings, what would you say back to me? 9-11, September 11, it's time bound, right? We, we think we operate in this way, but it is what the Bible says. The Bible says in the beginning, then it says God. In other words, God pre-exists beginning. This is, a, this is a good one. I love having children who ask these questions. My kids don't ask, can God create a rock so heavy that he himself can't lift it? They ask, how can God exist? How can he be without being created? The answer, I don't know. He is. But the reality is, no matter what your worldview is, everybody has to have an origin story. We all have to have something started. And then we ask the question, what, what became before that? So did, did gas, was gas the first thing? And if there was gas and there was temperature and there was contraction, what was before that? There is always going to be what came before. It doesn't matter what worldview we have. And so the Christian worldview uniquely says what came before was God. An uncreated being. No beginning, no end, and everything else finds its place in that being. God created the heavens and the earth. This is Genesis' way of saying he made Everything out of nothing. Everything that is, is because it finds its substance and its origin within him. He determined that it would be. This is kind of the picture that Genesis is putting towards us, that he created the heavens and the earth. These are these two overarching realms. And these are developed all the way through the rest of the Bible. We just did a series on the armor of God where we looked at the fact that we are creaturely beings in this world, on the earth, battling with a spiritual world, heavens and the earth. This is all throughout the Bible. 
Then verse 2 tells us that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the idea that God created and then God structured, God ordered. God took basically chaos and made order and He made it function in a certain particular way. God creates the boundaries, God creates the structure, God creates the order so that flourishing of all things that He has made would occur. God is eternally powerful. Number two, God is authoritatively purposeful. So if you read Genesis 1, over and over and over again, it's going to say, He said and it was. I'm a dad. I say and it doesn't. (laughs) I, I say, go brush your teeth. And they don't. I say, put on your shoes. And they don't. I say, get ready for school. And they don't. And I'm getting angry. And I'm like, come on. There is a sense in which I'm not like God. When God says, it is. God says there to be light. Light cannot not be. It must be because God is authoritatively purposeful. So verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. The writer of Genesis wants us to see that there is this authoritative, purposeful God who is saying, this is what I'm making you to be. Be it. Be light. Be land. Be sea, be water. Everything in this story is made by God and for God. And because He is the great designer, He is the great purpose giver. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him, this is speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Proverbs 16, 4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose. So it's not just that God is this big God who is powerful. It's also that He is purposeful. He is intentionally designing things to uniquely work a certain way, to function a certain way. And at some point, He is going to make us a certain way. And he's going to say, live this way. Act, function this way. I made you like this. And we don't like that. As an Australian culture, we don't like being told what to do. Yeah? We, we, we are known for within our DNA, essentially, that we will do what we will do. Don't tell me what, what to do, government. Don't tell me to put on that mask. I don't want to put on no mask. Feel stupid. But the Bible is constantly telling us, no, we must look up. Look to God. If you want to find your true self and know who you're made to be, Look to the one who made you and purposed you and designed you. Number three, 
God is also benevolently intentional. See, part of the reason that we struggle with the fact that God is saying who we are and how we are to act is the fact that we don't truly believe He's good. This is exactly what happens in Genesis 3, is it not? That the first problem we have is trusting His good design. And so we see all through the story, the author wants us to see it over and over and over again. It doesn't just say what God made and what He made it for. It's that God made it so it is good. And God saw, verse 4, that the light that he made to shine was good. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. The earth brought vegetation, verse 12, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which their seed Uh, which is in their seed according to its kind, and God saw that it was good over and over and over and over again. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. This eternally powerful, authoritatively purposeful God is benevolently intentional. He is not just making a fish and saying, Oh, you fish, you shall live and be designed for water Because he is this God who just wants to restrict the fish. It's because God has made the fish a unique way for a particular purpose. And God is saying, what is good for you is to be in the water. God is not just creating and constructing as some petty, unjust, vindictive, misogynistic, homophobic, genocidal, megalomaniacal, capricious, malevolent bully, to use some of Richard Dawkins' words. He is not making things from that place. That is not the story of the Bible. When you start with the story, I would love to just go Richard Dawkins, just read chapter 1 and 2 and tell me first how the story starts. It starts with God being nothing but good. In fact, if you do any sort of study on who God is, God is so good that He cannot build, He cannot make. In His essence, He cannot, because He is nothing but goodness, He cannot make anything that is not good. It's actually theologically, philosophically impossible for Him to do so. Everything He makes is good. And goodness is not just in a quantitatively sense it's qualitatively good the light is good the land is good fourthly God is distinctively communal as you read through it I want to encourage you this week read through Genesis 1 and 2 and you will see over and over and over again there is this pattern where God is putting pairs together and saying they are the same yet distinct So you have the heavens and the earth. They're in a category of their own. But there is heavens and there is earth. Same category of being different realms, but they're distinct realms. Heaven is heaven and earth is earth. Heaven holds its place in creation as earth holds its place within creation. There is light and darkness. These are complementing one another to produce this complementary whole. There is land and seas. In the same realm of being creation, but being distinct 
in their creation. You cannot have river without banks. For a river to exist, it needs the other, do you see? We don't have the moon without the sun. We have sky, land and water creatures, all creatures, yet made differently and for different habitats. And so verse 21 says that God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which, God, uh, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And then verse 24, you're going to see all of this language of according to its kind. Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to their kind. You see that God is kind of creating these mini communities of things that are similar and same yet distinct. And it is all pointing somewhere. You're supposed to feel it and hear it and kind of go, this is moving. This is going to some type of climactic sort of picture of something. It's building upon one thing after another, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and then we get to day six. And if you read sort of chapter one and chapter two, they almost seem like two different creation accounts. What's actually happening is in Hebrew sort of writing, what they often do is they kind of go meta narrative, big picture, and then they go micro. And they go in. So essentially in chapter 2, what it does is it goes back to when God creates again. And it zooms, the camera lens zooms right in and just focuses here now on just these couple of people. And so we see in chapter 2 how God makes humanity. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. If you read through chapter 1, then you read through chapter 2, it's like this, something's not right. This is the first time everything has been good. It's been good. It's been good. It's been good. And now it is not good. Why? Because the man does not have his kind. He doesn't have his sameness. Look at what it continues to say. It says that now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed of every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. So here is Adam, right? He's the man. And he's looking at the aardvarks and he's going, there's multiple aardvarks. He's like, they're awesome. We don't fit. He's looking at the elephants. He's looking at the monkeys. He's looking at the birds. He's looking at all of these things and going, you got your thing. You got your kind. Where is mine? And you, you sort of, as you read it, you feel there is this longing and I love verse 20 because it says, The man gives names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. He doesn't have his kind. He doesn't have his fit. He doesn't have his complementary piece. There is the sun and the moon. There is the creatures who've got their kind. There are all these things, but there is not that for Adam. And we're supposed to feel that. We're supposed to see that. We're supposed to kind of have this sense of well, where's his? There's this interruption and then we get to verse 26 where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here is the sameness yet distinction again even with God. In the beginning, God. And then verse 2, we get the spirit. And now here we're getting this us and our language. There's a sense in which there is kind of Communal, do you pick up that? There's something more. It's the fact that there is 
we would say as Christians, there is Father, Son, and Spirit, one being, three persons. There is a relational, communal thing going on with God, and then God is making us, humanity, in His image. And so it says in verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female. He created them. Sameness. We are created beings. If you follow the flow, there's a sense of like God's creating, God's creating, God's creating. He's creating creatures and then he creates us as these creatures. And so we are all in the same sense under the rule of this creator God, but yet we are created differently from the rest of creation. Everything else in creation is spoken. Light speaks it. It happens. Land, skies, sun, moon. He speaks it. He speaks it. Chapter 2. He forms the man from the dust. There's, we are creatures. We are similar to. There is a sameness between us and animals, but there is a distinction. We are made differently. And then you zoom in on that unique creation and there is sameness. There is male and there is female, both human, both made in the image of God, yet distinct. There is male. There is female. Both made in the image of God, both made for one another, yet both made slightly differently. I have the privilege of having four children. I have one boy. Hoorah! <coughs> we stick together like brothers. <coughs> and then we have three daughters. There is same and there is distinction. And as parents, we are seeking to, how do I raise a boy to be a male man? And how do I raise girls to be female women? And what does that look like? And how do we do that? And what we don't want to do, this is what Christians always do, is we overreact to culture and we start with distinction. And we go, well, we're different. We've got to make sure we're different and we've got to go hardcore. And the Bible says, actually, let's start with sameness. We're actually the same first. Because when Adam sees Eve, damn, he's like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's my kind. <laughs> literally, in the Hebrew language, literally, he says, mine, me, you, yes. He doesn't start with distinction. He starts with same. I don't just have to hang out with aardvark. I don't just have to hang out with lion and tigers and bears. I get to hang out with me kind of sameness. Sure, she's naked and that has other things. He's like, wow. But there is sameness. There is image bearing. There is commission from God. And it is to be this together towards this end picture that we would be with God. Male and female. So let me just throw this out at you. If you're in the room and you're single, and maybe you never get the chance to be married in this earth, let me tell you something. You will not miss out. Because marriage is not the thing. Image bearing, relationship with God is the thing. And even in this life, if we experience divorce or we experience singleness, God has not held out on us because that is just a picture. So what we're going to look at next week is the fact that we want to be careful to not make marriage the thing. 
nor do we want to underplay it as culture does, as if it's nothing. It is something that is pointing us to the thing, which is that God would also be in relational, a relationship with his people. So yes, we're going to explore some distinctions. Yes, we're going to explore some differences. We want to joyfully follow those things. But we cannot miss that we are supposed to be doing this together as males and females. And if someone is to come and ask what God is like, we should be able to point to men and women and go, put those sort of pictures together. You get a sense of what God is like. And you see things in men that you're like, that's what God's like. And you see things in women and you go, that's what God's like. And together, this male-female thing creates this incredible picture of what it looks like to be image bearers of God. And so I just want to finish with something that Paul says in Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. He uses, he picks up this language from Genesis 2, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That is, it's a picture of something. It's a picture of something beautiful where the transcendent being of the world would also be near and present and intricately involved and in relationship with his very creation. That there would be two that would become one. And God, at the end of the story, it tells us in Revelations 21 that he will be our God and he will dwell with and amongst his people. And Jesus is right in the middle of the story, coming and dwelling with the people of God to redeem and restore the people of God back into a right relationship with God. And so, yes, there are distinctions. We must explore those distinctions We must be careful not to stereotype those distinctions. And we must embrace those distinctions with grace and compassion as we all explore what it looks like to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as the band come up. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lake. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.